Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, I can't tell you how excited I am and how much gratitude I have every week to come to church with people. After 13 weeks in the spring of doing church without people, like I'm just filled with so much gratitude to be in the room with you. For those of you who are outside, man, you have hit the jackpot on August 2nd to be able to sit outside at church and have it not be 70 degrees yet. God bless you. For those of you who are watching from home and are still online, we miss you. We love you. We're so grateful that you're with us every week. Hey, we are in week eight of summer in the Psalms. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32 is where we're going to hang out. Man, make sure and get your notes. Today is going to be a day of learning. Today is going to be a day of challenge. Today is going to be a day of growing, but we are actually in the Psalms almost every day this summer. We've been doing daily prayer at noon on Facebook Live at noon, Monday through Saturday, about 12 to 15 minutes of looking at a Psalm and then spending some time in prayer. If you did not catch yesterday's yet, please, please, please. Uh, one of our elders, Todd Higgins, unpacked Psalm 121 um, through tears, most of it. His heart is just so sensitive as he just kind of cried his way through what Psalm 121 meant to him. If you have 15 minutes, go back and watch yesterday's daily prayer at noon. I promise you that it will bless you. You just heard on the screen, listen, it is our grand finale week of summer of serving. We need you all to get engaged to help. Yesterday, we had 20 men at the Urban Christian Academy downtown serving, getting them ready for their back-to-school crowd coming in. Um, every Monday, we are serving food as we get ready for the grand finale next Sunday, August 9th. Here's a few things we have going on. You can text Journey Serve to 474747 to have all this information sent directly to your phone. But we are working with Hope House, which is a domestic abuse center in our community that helps men, women, and children escaping domestic abuse. We are doing an activity with them called Stock the House stock the house. We are collecting household cleaning supplies and bed linens, shower towels. Um, For that group of people, you can buy those and drop those off between now and August 13th. You say, what exactly do they need? Text the number, Journey Serve, 474747, and you can click on stock the house. Uh, August 9, next Sunday, starting at 2 p.m., we'll be packing 15,000 nutritious, easy-to-make meals that we'll be distributing in our community. Monday, August 10th, we'll be doing a blood drive. I have signed up. Pray for me. I may never preach again at our church after August 10th because I'm convinced once they put that needle in your arm, they could take it all. And, you can, and, and I, I may be in heaven after August 10th. But pray for me. They have, um, they have challenged me to sign up. That's not what I do well, but I'm going to do my very, very best. And then Saturday, August 15th, we'll be with the Kansas City Dream Center. We'll be giving away 12,000 pounds of fresh produce that day and doing an Adopt-A-Block program. We would love for you to be engaged. For those of you who do not live in Kansas City, we can help you serve your community. If you text this number, 474747 to Journey Serve, you can click on out-of-town serving opportunities. We'll connect you with a place very much like Hope House or the Urban Christian Academy um, or the Dream Center in our town. We'll figure out where you can serve in your town and we'll help engage you so that you can serve there. A big summer of serving. Let's finish well. Um, Hey, two things that we're going to learn today as we look into the book of Psalms. Number one, we're going to learn about the penitential Psalms of Israel. We've been learning about different types of psalms, psalms of lament. We've learned about wisdom psalms. We've learned about the imprecatory psalms. We learned last week a little bit about the royal psalms. Today, the penitential psalms. You say, what are the penitential psalms? They're a group of psalms written to express the sorrow and regret of spiritual failure during a moment of sin, 
during a life of sin or during a culture of sin with a commitment to turn from sin and turn to God. The penitential psalms are the psalms that teach us to say, God, I am sorry when I have gotten it wrong. Think about the word penitentiary, the pen. All right, I grew up 30 minutes from a town in Ohio called Chillicothe, Ohio. The Chillicothe State Correctional Institute was there. Some of you have been to the Leavenworth. It's not called, I don't think, penitentiary anymore. The, the pen, they don't use that word, the Lansing Correctional Institute. What is the penitentiary? What is the pen? It's where people go when they're guilty to kind of learn about their guilt and be, and be paid for their guilt. That's what the penitential psalms are. It is understanding the guilt of our sin and spiritually paying for the guilt of our sin. So we want to learn about the penitential psalms, but here's why. Because we need to learn how to have a penitential spirit. As Christians, we need to learn what it looks like, feels like, how to feel sorry for sin. About 125 years ago, in Western Europe, a movement started on university campuses called postmodernism. Uh, Postmodernism was a movement of deconstruction where basically in postmodernism, they looked at everything modern that had been institutionalized, that had been traditional, that had been set up. And they said, how do we know that any of this is good? And they began to try to deconstruct or tear down everything, every organization that had been longstanding from education to healthcare. Eventually it worked its way into the church. Let's deconstruct everything down to the roots. And when it came to Christianity, postmodern Christianity after they deconstructed everything traditional Christianity was, said, let's keep the parts of Christianity we like, let's lose the parts of Christianity we don't like, and let's kind of have that be our new postmodern Christianity. In the world today, it's a movement known in the American church as progressive Christianity. But I would not call it progressive Christianity because I don't believe it's Christianity at all. It's a group of people who have figured out what parts of Christianity they like and want to keep, and what parts of Christianity they don't like and they want to lose. It probably was made most well-known about a decade ago, an, an author and popular speaker by the name of Rob Bell. Uh, he was a pastor who left the traditional Christian faith, and he decided that hell was no longer real. He became uncomfortable with the concept of anyone going to hell, so he decided for him hell couldn't be real, so he decided to write a book about it, speak about it, and tell everyone else and teach everyone else hell's not, hell's not real. I'm uncomfortable with that concept, so hell is not real. In the last few years, another author and speaker by the name of Jen Hatmaker has decided that certain things in the Judeo-Christian faith that have been morally sinful for the last 3,500 years are no longer morally sinful because she doesn't want them to be. And not only are they not seen as sinful, they're celebrated as good. And as a matter of fact, the only thing sinful is to tell someone else that they're doing anything that is biblically or morally wrong. And when we look at these, they're, they're jolting to our spirits to think, what do people really think that? They're jolting to our spirit, but they should not be shocking to our mind because the apostle Paul told us this was going to happen. He told Timothy, who he was apprenticing in the second generation of the church, the time is going to come when people won't put up with sound doctrine. That's, that's solid Bible teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll turn aside to myths. You all know that there are things that the world applauds today that are still offensive to God, even in 2020. You know that, right? There are things the world says, yes, everyone should be doing that, that God still says, no, people should not be doing that. 
Jesus' little brother James actually said, be careful when you always find yourself being a friend of the world and culture because a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. One of his closest disciples, John, actually said, if you love the world, it's very possible you love the world because the love of the Father is not even in your heart. And let me talk to those of you who are my Christian brothers and sisters in the room. My spiritual father and your spiritual father, because we're spiritual siblings. Your spiritual father and my spiritual father has told me to tell you something. Dad says, quit liking things on social media he's already said he hates in scripture. You're confusing people. And if you yourself are confused, you need to get with one of our biblical teachers or leaders and say, help me understand. Because there there are some people on, on social media, you cannot follow Jesus and them. Because they're going in different directions. You can't be a follower of both. And when we look at the penitential psalm, you say, Christian, why, um, man, why are we going through all of this today? Is this going to be a sermon on progressive Christianity? The answer is no, but, but Paul said in the end times, there are going to be a group of people who instead of learning God's truth and changing their life to fit God's truth, There's going to be a group of people who come up with their own truth. Warning, you should write this down. Beware of any Christian leader who uses the phrase, my truth. Beware of any Christian leader that uses the word, my truth. There's only one truth. His name is Jesus. And how you and I react to that. It's a term used in therapy a lot, but it is not solid biblically. Beware of Christians who use the word, my truth. Because Paul told Timothy, there's going to be people who come up with their truth with their truth, their desires. Then they're going to find some teachers who will teach the things they already agree with, and then eventually they're just going to walk away from Jesus altogether. That's how postmodern Christianity, progressive Christianity works. I come up with what I believe. I find someone who will agree with what I believe, who's kind of a well-known teacher. I use them as my mouthpiece, and eventually I walk away from the faith altogether. So you can start with your truth, Or you can start with God's truth. Find someone to teach it to you and bend your spirit to it. Now, today's message is not about progressive Christianity, but this week's podcast is. About 20 minutes worth of understanding a little deeper the danger of this seeping into our church. You say, well, why are you talking about it in today's message? Because of this. The penitential Psalms of Israel have nothing to teach people who don't believe in sin. Because they're written to teach us how to say sorry for sin. And if you don't believe in sin, they have nothing for you. They have nothing to teach people who don't believe that you have to confess and repent of sin. They have nothing to teach people who don't believe you have to seek forgiveness of sin. They have nothing to teach people who say, the Bible says this is sin, I say it's good, I want to celebrate you publicly. The penitential psalms don't have anything for them because the penitential psalms are for people who very publicly want to say, I have sinned, I'm living in a moment of sin, a season of sin, a culture of sin has just kind of swept me away spiritually. That's what the penitential psalms are. That's who they are for. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, my goal today is that you will hear maybe for the first time what Christians, biblical Christians believe about not just sin, but their sin and how we bring that to God and how that transforms our life. Before we jump into Psalm 32, we always like to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. If you're watching online, if you're here, would you bow your heads with me real quick? Would you take the deep breath that I need to take, even if you don't? And would you ask God to speak to your heart today? God, that's our prayer that you would speak 
to our hearts today, two of the major themes, God, that run through Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation are the sin of humanity and the forgiveness of God. Show, with, show us both of those in a new and an impactful way this morning. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Psalm 32, let's jump in, shall we? The Psalm of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be bridled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. So I was supposed to drop my son off at college yesterday. His departure got moved back about 12 days because of the coronavirus and how things work. So I'll be in the middle of next week dropping him off instead, Lord willing. Lord willing. Um, You heard Ryan say his daughter's going to college, and that seemed to cause him pain. I've been telling people every time my wife thinks about Christian leaving for school, she starts crying. Every time I start thinking about Christian staying for school, I start crying. So it's like, (laughs) dear God, heal the coronavirus. My son has to go to school. He has to go to school. But we've been packing up all kinds of memories in his room as he's been getting ready to head off to school. And one of the memories that we kind of packed up as we packed up teddy bears, I mean, things that have been in his room since like he was six and seven years old. Uh, one, one of the memories that I had was of he and Casey um, when they were little. Casey, when she was little, my daughter used to always have these little blankets that had like a, a blanket with like a bear head. And these served two purposes in Casey's life. One, they were very comforting to her as she slept. Secondly, they were a weapon when she needed to fight her brother off. And on a trip to Columbus, Ohio, when my kids were young, I bought one of these for Casey that was Brutus the Buckeye, a big Buckeye head, the Ohio State mascot with a big tail. And before the day was over in the courtyard Marriott, she had tried to beat her brother senseless with it. So I took it away from her. And I said, you, you, like, that is not to beat your brother with. That is like for you to sleep with. And she came to me before before the end of the day. These are some of the keepsakes that you never give away with a little courtyard Marriott piece of paper. And she'd written this note to me in her best kindergarten handwriting that she could. Dad, I'm really sorry for what I done. And I'm really sorry for that I hit Christian. Um, she wrote me an apology. But the apology came with a picture. Here was the picture on the back of the page. It was a picture of her in the exact same spelling, saying, I'm really sorry, Dad, again. And a picture of me with a few Star of Davids there. It's before we'd even been to Israel. Um, <laughs> with, her little, with her little Brutus blanket, giving it back to her and saying, I forgive you. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's, here's what we need to learn about this picture today. The picture came with the apology. I had not yet forgiven her or given her her little Brutus the Buckeye back when she apologized. But two key things to learn today that we need to learn for the penitential psalms. There are going to be times 
with broken people living in a broken world that we get it wrong and we have to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. And we have to, in all good faith, anticipate that when we do, he's already planning to forgive us. See, Casey knew my dad is going to forgive. She didn't have to wonder. She knew if I apologize, my dad will forgive me. And you need to understand, those of you in the room, those of you outside, those of you at home, you need to understand, when you confess your sin before God, he's willing to forgive you. And you, you need to know going into it that once I confess, it comes with forgiveness. So let's dig in today to the penitential Psalms of Israel. Here's what we're going to learn. There are seven Psalms historically recognized as penitential psalms. You should study them all this week if you don't have a plan yet. Psalm 6, Psalm 32, which we're in, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, which we'll be in next week, and penitential psalms part 2, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, Psalm 143. These seven psalms were scattered throughout the book of Psalms to teach the people of Israel and those who would later become the people of God through Israel. They were put there to teach people how to express sorry, how sorrow, how to express regret, how to express confession of their sin before their God. Part of learning how to worship God is learning how to say sorry to God when you fail to meet his standards, right? Psalms is a book of worship, but part of learning to worship is learning to confess your sin. M.R. Vincent, who was a professor of New Testament exegesis and criticism at Union Theological Seminary in New York from about 1890 to the 1920s, authored several prominent books and word studies in the New Testament. He also wrote some journal articles on the penitential psalms, and he said there are seven penitential psalms that all have seven elements in them that teach us how to confess, that teach us how to repent, that teach us really how to walk with God once we have failed God. As we look at these seven today, we're going to eventually unpack three. We're going to learn about the nature of sin for followers of Jesus. We're going to learn about conviction of sin for followers of Jesus. And then we're going to learn about the worship of personal repentance from sin. Seven elements of penitential psalms. We're going to walk quickly through these, and then we'll come back and look at three things. Element number one, a recognition of the radical nature of sin. Every one of the penitential psalms recognizes the nature of sin. We see it in Psalm 32 in the first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Those two verses are going to teach us four words that help us understand, maybe better than we ever have, the nature of sin in the bottom half of this message. Element number two of the penitential psalms, the feeling of the burden and the sorrow of sin. Verses three and four, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. These two verses are gonna teach us how a spirit of conviction feels deep in our soul and how those of us who walk with God can understand when we are separated from God. That will lead to, hopefully, element number three, confession of sin. David says in verse 5, after the conviction of sin weighed heavily on me, then I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity and the guilt of my sin. 
It's interesting, next week in Psalm 51, we'll study the story of David committing adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And you will not hear David in Psalm 51 say, that's just the way God made me. You won't hear David say, we had an open marriage. You won't hear David say, that's what made me happy. You won't hear David say, we just grew apart. You won't hear David say, she was just really pretty. You'll hear David say, I'm sinning. Because God, you said live this way and I'm living this way. So God, I have sinned and I am guilty before you. I have no excuse, no one to blame. Sin. I confess my sin. This leads to element number four, conduct after repentance. Every one of these penitential psalms will tell you that after there's a time of confession, there's a change in our conduct. Psalm 32, 6 and 7 says, Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. I went from running away from God to running to God. Surely the rising and the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. I went from hiding from you to hiding in you. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Confession of sin changes how we feel. Confession of sin changes how we live. Confession of sins changes where we find true comfort, true peace, true happiness. Confession of sin changes who and what we surround ourselves with in life. It leads to, David says, it's interesting that almost every penitential psalm has this element in it, a teaching after forgiveness. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. This is where I get so confused with people in the world of postmodern Christianity, people who will say, Jesus has radically changed my life. I brought him my sin. I brought him my brokenness. He's given me a freedom and he's given me a peace, but you don't have to do that. Because your stuff is not wrong. Like, I, like, like God gave me the greatest gift in the world of forgiveness, but you don't have to ask for that because that could be offensive to you. David says, because I love you, because I see you, I want to teach you what God's forgiveness did for me so that you can have God's forgiveness for you. I don't want to celebrate your sin. I want to celebrate the forgiveness of your sin. I want to teach you what God did for me. That's where these penitential psalms, element number six, become a warning to others. So David will say, don't be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit or a bridle or they won't come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked. David says, don't make God force a punishment on you that he intended for Jesus on the cross. Don't force God to put it on your back. He has supplied another one. Don't force him to do it, but he will. He will if you don't confess it. And then element number seven, once confession and repentance have washed through, we'll see this big time next week in Psalm 51. We see the joy of repentance and forgiveness. So every penitential psalm ends with the deep breath of fresh air that admitting and confessing sin is, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. We've gone from sinning to singing in one psalm. How? Through confession and forgiveness of sin. Man, confessing sin and having it forgiven will turn a sinner into a singer. And when you hear worship songs that talk about God's forgiveness, you won't be able to help but sing. I mean, we, we have people in our church, we have some dudes in our church that don't even speak to people Monday through Friday who sing songs out loud in church on Sunday because they were a sinner who's been forgiven and now they're turned into a singer. And they just can't help but open their mouth and say, thank you, Jesus, for the joy of 
forgiveness. Those are the overview. Go study those Psalms this week. Look for those seven elements. But for us, okay, we don't just want to be Bible scholars. We want to be good followers of Jesus. How do we develop this penitential spirit in our hearts? We have to look closer at the first three elements of the penitential Psalms, and we have to learn from them. What are they? Element number one, a recognition of the radical nature of sin. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is, um, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and, who, and in whose spirit is no deceit. As we look at those two verses, what we see is the nature of sin in four words. If you have your Bible open, I want you to underline these. If you're on a digital device, I want you to highlight them somehow, because we see the nature of sin in four words. Let's look at these words. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, you need to circle or highlight that word, are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's going to teach us something about sin. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count. That's going to teach us something about sin. Against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. What do we learn about the nature of sin that every doctrinally pure Christian believes? First, we look at the word transgression and we realize the nature of sin is us doing something wrong in God's eyes. Say, yeah, but the world in 2020, no, that's not how sin works. Sin doesn't work on what the world in 2020 says is right or wrong. Sin works by what the eternal. I said it this week on the podcast. The Bible is not an old book. The Bible is an eternal book. It goes all the way back. It goes all the way forward. And sin is based on what God says is right or wrong. Transgressions means I have done something wrong in God's eyes. We looked at this word covered. And when we see that sin needs to be covered, what we learn about the nature of sin is it has exposed something in my life. It has shown that I need a savior. It has shown that my life is broken. It has shown that my spirit is broken. It has shown that my direction is wrong. Sin needs to be covered. And by using this word covered, David is saying sin exposes things in your life. The biggest thing in your life it exposes is that you need someone to reconnect you to God because your sin disconnected you from God. We see letter C, this phrase does not count, and we learn about the nature of sin, that our sin counts against our relationship with God when confession makes it not count. That means not confessing makes our sin count against against our relationship with God. It's confessing that I'm out of relationship with God. I've done some things that have counted against me spiritually. And then this word deceit. So we don't want to live with a spirit of deceit. The nature of sin is that the spirit of life that God caused to live in me is not right with God. There's some deception. There's something off. Sin causes my life to be off spiritually. There's something in my spirit that's not right with God's spirit when I'm in sin. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with a spiritual leader named Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, everyone is born, but Christians are born again spiritually, because their spirit has to get right with God. If you're in this room, if you're listening, if you're watching, you've been born. My question is, have you been born again? Because if you've not been born again spiritually, your spirit is still off spiritually. You must be born again. You must, con- you must confess it. My spirit is broken. I've done something wrong against God. My relationship with God is disjointed. My sin has exposed it. I've got some things in my life that need help with. So God, oh God, I don't want a spirit of deceit. I don't want a spirit that's not connected with your spirit. I need Jesus. I need to be born again spiritually. 
We look at Psalm 32, we look at the penitential Psalms and we learn about the nature of sin. Now here's what you need to know. Any, 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 any Christian leader that tries to teach you Christianity without these four things is not telling you the whole story. Now I'm not saying they're all purposefully misleading you. But if they don't include this, they are missing a very key piece of the gospel. So the penitential psalms teach us about the nature of sin and what that does in us to separate us from God spiritually. What else do we learn? Let's look at element number two, the feeling of the burden and of the sorrow of sin. Verses three and four says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When we look at these two verses, we learn about the conviction of sin. Once again, when we kind of drill down, we see how sin feels in the heart of a person that God is dealing with. Underline these words, circle and point them out. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, it is the very opposite of God doesn't care what you do. Everything is okay. Everything should feel great. Sin should not feel great. For the Christian, sin should feel heavy. For the Christian, sin should feel disjointed. For the Christian, sin should wear you out. However, you can't get there on your own. You need some help to get there according to Scripture. You say, I don't feel that way when I sin. Then you, then you need to question whether or not the Holy Spirit is one of your heart's neighbors. Because the person whose responsibility is to convict you of sin in such a way that your spirit feels wounded is the Holy Spirit. The person who, when you sin, comes down heavy on you and makes your bones feel weak and makes your soul feel crushed and makes it hard to breathe for you is the Holy Spirit. You say, Christian, where is that? John 16, 8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and about judgment. You say, yeah, but why would the Holy Spirit want to wound me? Doesn't God love me? Doesn't God want to help me? Why would the Holy Spirit press in on me in a way that hurt my feelings or hurt my heart or made me feel weak? Proverbs 27, six says it this way, wounds from a friend can be trusted. The friend who will tell you you have salad in your teeth, that's a friend. The friend who will hold up a sign while you're preaching and say your fly is down, like that, that's a friend. It's usually only Danielle. That's a friend. The cancer doctor that says, I'm going to have to cut a little more to get the cancer out. That's a friend. That's a friend. And the Holy Spirit is a friend that can be trusted because it says, mm, sin is deep. It's going to infect your soul. We're going to have to go in and get it. The Holy Spirit is a true friend of the Christian. The Holy Spirit is a true friend of the church, which is when I pray for people like Rob Bell, when I pray for people like Jen Hatmaker, and you should be praying for them. I pray, Lord, if your Holy Spirit is in their heart, you're going to have to tell them. God, if your Holy Spirit is in their heart, you're going to have to tell them that's your job, not my job. And then I pray this, and God, if your Holy Spirit is in my heart and I'm wrong, tell me. I'm open to being wrong, Lord, but I just, I just need you to tell me. But here's what happens every time the Holy Spirit speaks. You say, well, how do you know the Holy Spirit isn't telling them to say those things? Because John 16 says the Holy Spirit only speaks what has been spoken. He reiterates and repeats what's already in Scripture when the, 
When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So if somebody says, the Holy Spirit told me something that's different than what is in the Bible, you need to know either they are lying or they are being lied to because the Holy Spirit only speaks what has been spoken. The Holy Spirit only speaks what has been spoken. So we need to pray when we see friends that are drifting. Holy Spirit, you got to do your job. It's time. Cue the Holy Spirit. It's time for you now to rush into this situation with my kids, with my spouse, with my coworker, with my neighbor. All right, Holy Spirit, they're in trouble. You're going to have to go get them. Holy Spirit, I'm going to unleash the Holy Spirit. Go get them. It's your job, Holy Spirit. So we learn about the nature of sin. We learn about the conviction of sin. But then we learn element number three, the best part of this. We learn confession of sin. We get to tell God in a moment of sin, in a season of sin, in a culture that just I couldn't get out of, Lord, I sinned. David says, and I acknowledge my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity, didn't try to explain it away, didn't say it was okay. I said, I'll confess transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is where, for me, this psalm turns into me, myself, and I, because it's really easy when Christians talk about sin to talk about someone else's sin, right? It's it's actually much easier to talk about someone else's sin than our sin, but this psalm drills down into me, myself, and I. You say, where is that? Look at verse 5. Look at the word my. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. My, 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 my. Or you could say it this way. My, 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 my. My, 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 my. My, 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 my. It's been a hard season and I have drifted spiritually. My, 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 my. I had a really bad moment at work, or a really bad reaction to something. My, 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 my. The culture of 2020 really sucked me in. And Christian, everything you say, the Holy Spirit's already been working on my heart, but I had started being led astray. My, 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 my. Me, myself, and I. Now listen, the last point of this message might be the most important point of this message. Because the next thing we're getting ready to say might be the most important thing about your relationship with Jesus that you hear today, and that's this. Your love and commitment to Jesus will rarely go deeper than your understanding and acknowledgement of your sin. It just can't. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was having dinner at a guy's house named Simon. He was a Pharisee, not Simon the disciple, but Simon a Pharisee. He was a religious leader who invited Jesus over to talk about the Bible, to have a Bible study. And a, and, a, and a poor, very sinful woman found her way into the dinner. And while Jesus was eating, was like crying at his feet anointing his feet with oil, begging for the forgiveness of her sins. And the religious guy looked at the sinful gal and said, like, what's, like, what's her deal, man? What's her deal? And Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 44 through 47, he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has now stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Your love and your commitment to Jesus will rarely go deeper 
than your understanding and acknowledgement of your sin. So here in the penitential Psalms, we see a key that unlocks a step of depth in our relationship with Jesus. It is confessing our sin. Now, last week I had a conversation with what I would call a disappointed disciple. I had a conversation with someone at our church after a royal psalm, after two imprecatory psalms, and I had someone come up to me, and here's what, here's what they said. They said, Christian, I thought we were going to spend the summer learning about worship. Like when you announced our series on psalms, like I thought you were going to teach us like sing and raise our hands. And like, I, like I thought the whole summer was going to be learning about worship, and my gosh, like you were like going so deep into all this stuff. I thought it was going to be about going to worship, and I stopped, and I said, you, you, you're missing the point. You're missing the point because that psalm of lament we studied when we studied the life of Noah, admitting your heavy heart to God, that is worship. Saying to God, I'm so overwhelmed that I can't get out of bed, that is, that is an, act of, that's an act of worship. In the Psalms of Wisdom, Psalm 1, when we try to figure out how we get to know God, admitting your need for a connection to God, that, that's worship. Saying, God, like, I see two ways to go in life, but I deeply want to be connected to you. Admitting your need for spiritual wisdom, like that is worship. In the imprecatory Psalms, my goodness, trusting God to take care of those opposed to him and those mistreating you, well, that, that certainly is worship. More worshipful than anything you'll ever sing in church. And the royal Psalms that we studied last week, asking God to be the king of the world and the king of your life, that is worship and maybe the greatest worship. We studied today penitential psalms. Confessing your sin and asking God's forgiveness is worship. It is worship. So maybe today, if you want to worship well, you need to metaphorically get on your knees, spread your arms, open your heart, and say, God, in a moment, in this season, in the very tough 2020, I've drifted. I'm not doing well spiritually. I've been living in sin. I've been committing sin. God, I'm sorry, and I need your forgiveness. And you know what? Before you end your prayer, God says, I forgive you. Because if we confess our sins, Jesus' friend John says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are followers of Jesus writing these psalms. So Christians sometimes need to confess their sin. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe because someone told you God doesn't care about your sin, no, no big deal, just like live life. I'm telling you today that's not true, but if you will bring your sin to Jesus, he will forgive you and you can begin an eternal connection with him today. What has God spoken to your heart? What do you need to do about that as we close in prayer? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as our band works their way to the stage. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but hearts are open. You came into this morning separated from Jesus today because of your sin. You don't have to leave that way. Jesus came so that the sin in our life, the moments of sin, the seasons of sin, the culture of sin that sometimes we get stuck in, so all those could be forgiven and our life could be changed. But you've got to reach out to Jesus and tell him you need him. If you've never done that, if your sin has separated you and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you, to change you, just tell him right now, right where you are, from your heart to heaven, pray something like this, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin and my brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. 
I surrender my will to your spirit, to your truth. Come into my heart and life today and lead me. Today, I wanna commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me here or wherever you might be watching from, in just a second, Pastor Ryan's gonna tell you how you can let us know so we can celebrate with you, begin to give you resources, answer questions that you might have. But let me, as we wrap up this prayer, talk to the Christians. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, but hearts are open, Christians. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, these penitential psalms were all written by people whose faith walk had been interrupted by a moment of sin or a season of sin or a culture of sin. If that's your story this morning, confess that today. Sinners can turn to singers. We can worship by simply confessing our sin and finding forgiveness. And those of you Christians trying to wade your way through a postmodern Christian world, listen, the only message greater than your sin isn't a big deal to God is that your sin is a huge deal to God. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, you can be forgiven and cleansed and transformed from the inside out. Let's make sure we share the whole truth of the gospel so that people's whole lives can be transformed by the truth. Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. God, we thank you for your forgiveness, for your love. We thank you that when we confess, you forgive. We thank you for your father's heart. We thank you for your son's sacrifice. And God, as we worship today, I pray that sinners have been turned into singers by simply saying, God, I was wrong. I confess, please forgive me. We love you. We need you. Watch over us wash over us as we walk with you and worship you in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen.